Welcome to the Marketing for Startups podcast. If you're trying to figure out marketing for your startup, then you're in the right place. In this podcast, we go high level, looking at the intersection of branding, data, and leadership to offer you a marketing playbook to grow and scale. Join me each week for in-depth interviews, tactical advice, and practical trainings. Hi, I'm your host, Victoria Hajar, veteran marketer and startup enthusiast. I promise to bring my experience and curiosity to each episode Then together, we'll peel back the onion on this ever-changing discipline that is marketing. I'm so happy you're here. Let's dive in. Today, you're in for a treat. We're talking all things DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion with Kemi Joseph, who's the founder at Fears Advantage. Fears Advantage is a consulting group that helps organizations implement DEI programs within their organization. He's on a mission to help 5 million business leaders advance equity in their organizations by 2030. We talk a little bit about that. But above all, Kemi is just a ray of sunshine, a person I'm so honored to call a friend, someone that's made for me personally the experience of talking about racism and and uh, bias and privilege, all of that stuff. He's really cracked that open for me personally. He has so many great resources, wonderful webinars and trainings that you can access, which we talk about in the episode, and also some really great frameworks that I believe really helps turn a seemingly desperate situation into something that you can really take action on. So if you've been curious about you know, how to implement diversity, equity, and inclusion in your organization, even if you're small, even if you're a team of one, we talk about how you can do that and just create an equitable environment in your business from day one. So again, if you... If you're listening along with this and can find a way to YouTube, we've also um, put up the video and you can see our conversation as well. Um, Kimmy's got just the best energy out there. So I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation with Kemi Joseph. Kemi Joseph. <laughs> it always happens the second you start recording it's like when you type in front of people right it's like oh, okay man. all right yeah, yeah. let's start <laughs> yeah kemi joseph said it right <laughs> how are you welcome to the marketing for stars podcast i'm so excited you're here this has been a long time coming this mm-hmm. is awesome to see your face yeah ditto happy new year happy, happy new year to everybody who's listening i feel uh i'm so glad to see you and just as we were kind of connecting before we hit record and just uh the updates and just you know feeling more hopeful for 2022 oh, yeah. uh, so hopefully that's what you're feeling as well and everybody listening to oh god you guys are in for a treat kemi is just just such a breath of fresh air and just such like a ray of sunshine and i have to say tell the story of how we met mm-hmm. so we we met at upw which is unleash the power tony robbins sig- signature they can't uh, see me, but I'm making event. the move. I'm, You're making I'm doing the move. It. We'll, we'll have to put this on YouTube so we can get all of the all the pictures. <laughs> but I'll never forget because I saw you kind of like, and and the event is so you know you like make friends in the hall. People are kind of this is like pre-COVID, right? Like a yeah. before COVID, <laughs> oh, yeah. everyone's like kissing each other and hugging in the halls and high fiving and making mm-hmm. your move. And I remember meeting you like I don't know, uh, like like, about, like water drink. fountains or something. Yeah, whatever. Like that, yeah. And you had this like sequence 
um, blazer on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, it was such a good vibe. We like came instant friends and we like exchanged phone numbers. But then I don't know if I ever told you this, but I'm like, of course I had like nosebleed seats, but I see you like uh, on the, on the ground, like on the, what is it? Like right in front of the stage. And I'm like, that guy, I know him. It's the gold blazer guy got to the front. How the hell did you get? To the did you get super VIP tickets? Moving, or did you... moving and shaking, moving and shaking. <laughs> That's all I can say for now. I just will say moving and shaking. But I kept uh, intending to, you know, for me as I go to these events, continue to be like, how do I get to the bottom? Like really seeing myself there. So as opportunities uh, came up, I just said yes. And so just yeah. moving. We'll leave it at moving and shaking right now. So I think <laughs> it worked. <laughs> but the, yeah, just the, the instant connection piece and and the. You know, for for anybody who is following along in a Tony Robbins journey, just you know, I, I I think we're talking about you know marketing for startups. I think about someone like him as a just kind of an anchor that brought us together. Yeah. Of someone who just provides so much tremendous value that he's impacted my life without ever like I, I don't know if I'll ever meet him. I really hope that I do. Hey, Tony or any of his team, if you're listening to this, like let's yeah. let's <laughs> let's make that happen. But this yeah. idea of this. That's the kind of person I, I seek to be. That even if I don't meet the person who's listening to this this call. Um, that we can make a positive impact on them. And I think I saw a quote that says, uh, lead with love so you can leave with love. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that's that's who I feel like he is. That's who I feel like I want to be in a way that we can make an impact on people that we may never meet. So thanks again for for connecting there because we actually got to see each other, you and I, and then giving a chance and multiple iterations for us to impact your audience in a positive way. Absolutely. And so I think let's let's sort of, leave on that note because i think you know you have certainly built your business around that like leading with love giving unbelievable value and i think that is the marketing strategy nowadays right mm-hmm. and it's not about it's not about taking it's about giving and mm-hmm. when you do it in an authentic way right it it comes back it comes oh, yeah. back and so and and i think that's a really good segue sort of in speaking about diversity and inclusion and, and everything and all of the work that you do. So why don't we kind of lay the groundwork by first you introducing yourself mm-hmm. it, for those, for those that are listening that like have no idea what it means if when we're talking about diversity and inclusion in the sense of business, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Cause yeah. it could be out there and the acronym is DEI, right? Mm-hmm. Diversity, people, equity, and inclusion. Right? Yeah. You may hear that. And you know, those times sometimes acronyms are thrown out and people just like, they should, they know, but they don't really know. So let's start at the basic point here. Um, and what oh, yeah. does it mean inside of an organization? And I hope that marketing people can relate to, you know, the, to, to acronyms. Like when you start talking about websites and then start yeah. talking about, start yeah. talking about strategy and people are like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I totally get what that means. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Already. <laughs> so uh, let's see, we start from the very beginning. Um, so I born and raised here in Miami, Florida, and it's been interesting. Uh, the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation has been impacting me since even before I knew it. And both of my parents are Haitian immigrants, so I'm first generation here in, in Miami, here in the U.S. And what's interesting is I, I experience exclusion, uh, discrimination, um, you know, straight up hostility from a bunch of different groups, right? It wasn't just like what people kind of say now, the classic white and black. It was also from a lot of people who look just like me. So I'm black, my skin color is brown here. So 
they uh, so I would I would I found that it was, it was more so of a culture conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So there were some people that there were like groups. If I'm Haitian American, there were maybe Black Americans or Jamaican Americans or whatever groups that we didn't get along. Sometimes we didn't get along in school, so there was times where. I had to hide who I was. I remember the decisions that my siblings and I made to not tell people that we were Haitian because we didn't want to get picked on or bullied. And so there's very much this hiding that it wasn't just hiding from, for example, white people. It was also hiding from people who look exactly like me. Mm-hmm. And so for me, having that, that experience at an early age and thinking that this conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion is less about skin color, more about the culture that we are living and permeating with all of our choices and the words that we're using and the ways we are treating people or, or mistreating people, it kind of gave me a, a bigger lens for this conversation. And for those who are who are diving into it here, it the way it translated for me as a business owner, I was, I've been an entrepreneur since I was about 13, like selling candy in school <laughs> and always like thinking about supply and demand and like, okay. <laughs> And, you know, kids, like, we had these, we had, like, the, the donuts that we would be able to sell in school, but we had, like, very small candy bars. I was like, I yeah. can do better than this. So, like, <laughs> I saw a problem. Like, how do I solve this problem? And and that's carried me through. Most of the time I've been an entrepreneur for about the last 15 years. And so this uh, business with Fears Advantage also came out of seeing a huge problem that we're experiencing in our country, in our world. And it's it's the problem around diversity, equity, inclusion, and more so how we're having the conversation, how we're moving it forward in business. And after the murder of George Floyd, I remember the day after we're sitting right here in this office and we came to a Zoom call with my team and we were preparing to launch a great like series of, of virtual videos to help people go online, something that we were really excited about. But that moment talking to our teams the, the day after his murder, it was like, I can't think of anything else that I could be doing with my time. Yes, we could be helping people go online and have virtual engagement. That sounds fun and exciting, but it was like, no, I've been running away from this conversation. It's been impacting me since I was a kid, but I've been running away from saying, hey, I need to address it head on. And part of it is because of what a lot of people are experiencing, that they're experiencing the tension, the shame and blame, the polarization that is typically associated with diversity, equity, inclusion conversations. And... I, our, our firm is literally built on reclaiming, reframing that conversation and saying diversity is the connection of, of differences within, and that's, there's a lot of different quadrants of differences. Equity is the fairness that we are giving people and inclusion is kind of a result of that, that, we, that people feel like they can actually be their authentic selves. So f- that, that the murder of George Floyd was such a um, catalyst for me to say I can no longer hide from this conversation um, or just do it in at times that it feels convenient that we had to make a full focus on how do we bring value to this conversation shift the tide and make sure that more people can see themselves involved in it and part of the change that's a, that's actually i never heard that part of your story because i i think was it were you scared to shift were you nervous about sort of taking it because when we actually it's funny because I was thinking the other day because I've been doing a lot of zoom, zoom things and I was like oh Kemi had like a zoom program and I really wanted that right but of course it's like you shifted because of the George Floyd incident but what and, and that being a tipping point right of like I that you found purpose in that but were you scared of making that change or were you nervous to sort of start speaking up and and sort of positioning yourself as a, a person to because obs- you absorb actually quite a lot in the work that you do as well. 
That's probably the reason I was avoiding it. So I would say absolutely. I was scared and and I think I was more scared of what would happen if I didn't do it. Yeah. Right. That, you know, would it be would I have to see another global tragedy to then say, damn it, I wish I would have done something last time. And for me it was it it was a lot of soul searching, um, because it I too was conditioned like many people to think that, oh, if there's a police shooting of a black man that they there was something that that person was doing wrong. There's something how they're involved in some criminal activity, and you know I had I've been somebody who had been involved in criminal activity as well at some point in my life and had different interactions with cops, most of which I felt safe, and then there was a few where it felt very it was like very toxic, and I'm I feel grateful that I made it out of there without an incident, mm-hmm. and it was interesting to then the more that I started having positive experiences with police officers, just positive experiences in my life, I was like, well, things must be getting better for black people in America because I'm I'm a black person in America and I'm doing really well. Right. And and that's why it, it kind of shattered uh, a perception of what I of what I had of America and I think that it happened for a lot of people we had that shattered perception and we had the guilt that dang it we didn't do we haven't been doing much about it. it's been easy to ignore it. So I just felt actually more afraid of what would happen if I didn't and and you know actually part of my 10 year plan was launching fears advantage in this way anyhow it's just that covid kind of interrupted right. that right right so, i don't and know if anybody else had a 10 year plan yeah. starting in 2020 but yeah. you know when things change and so yeah. you know that it, it shifted my plans drastically so we put some of that on the back burner because for a lot of people they weren't talking about diversity equity inclusion as we were all scrambling to go online so we we I left that on the back burner and it just essentially just accelerated what I knew I needed to be doing, it just was like, we can't wait for a perfect time or for perfect conditions. We just have to go for it now. Mm-hmm. And um, and in some ways, it was a perfect storm because we've been growing very quickly as people see that we are um, trying to bring a more positive perspective or a more positive perspective about possibilities. Right? I'm not going to mm-hmm. sugarcoat what people are experiencing. I think we we can um, uh, micro invalidate people if we if we try to get them to think positive about their struggles or about the pain. It's not that I want to take that pain and turn it into more positive power, something that will help us uh, shift the tides for good versus uh, let more of the anger uh, continue to fuel the fires that are keeping us separate. Mm. I think that's one of your superpowers, actually, and I think it's something that I've gotten so much out of from like joining the talks and webinars that you've hosted, like your ability to lead with hope and not, not sort of harping on shame for everyone, because there's so much shame around the topic from Mm -hmm. so many, from all different sides. Right. And I think that the frameworks that you put together, and actually maybe we can link, I don't know if you have any, some tastes that I can show notes, (laughs) but the frameworks that you have, like for me, feels like such kind of a relief because it's been the first time that I've seen like some kind of real strategy that's tangible that feels like, okay, me, like Victoria in my life can use this framework with my friends and family or mm-hmm. in the businesses that I do. It doesn't have to just be big organizations that have huge HR departments. And so that kind of segues a little bit into like, what role do you think, right? Because when we think about DEI programs, right? We think of HR departments and we think of big businesses. Like I know a good girlfriend of mine works for Pepsi and they have an incredible like program and support system, right? But if you're, if you're a founder, like my audience is a founder and, and they're passionate about 
starting something that considers um, diversity and inclusion and the fabric of their brand. What, what kind of role can a small startup play in this whole you know, landscape? Yeah, I appreciate that question, especially that you talk about the overwhelm. That's part of the reason I stayed out of it for, I mean, <laughs> I've, been, I, I've worked with Nobel Peace Prize winners, right? So they're taking it on like a global scale. And I'm like, this is epic. <laughs> yeah. And then even even having an inspiration, I'm like, wow, you know, I keep thinking about what about what do I do as tangible change for myself as the individual? So I think one of the first things you saw with us was was helping people figure out where they have influence and impact. And I love working with founders because they have a team that they're building around them generally to build around them and and providing financial support and stability for a group of folks to, to help fulfill their dreams. It's, it's amazing to say that we as founders, we as innovators are, are striking out to do something that's already difficult. <laughs> and then when we add like being a minority founder or being a founder from a uh, a, uh, a marginalized background or a difficult background, it, like it's exponentially harder to do the work that you're striving to do. So one thing that we became very clear on is if we parsed out the, the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation can do it a little bit separate from social justice, because you know, we'll put social justice as a part of equity pathways that are out some of some outside of business, right? I think a lot of people said, oh, this is social justice has nothing to do with business. There's some ways we agree with people and there's other ways we're saying there is a portion of this that has to do with business, especially, I mean, if your business is in the legal system, right, <laughs> that's absolutely right. 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 So it depends on the business yeah. that you're doing. But I would say that um, one portion of this is what's called career equity. So it's making sure that when we hire somebody, when we are starting an organization as a founder, we have to provide what's called career equity, which is making sure that there, we reduce the barriers of employment for people to be a part of our team. And once they become part of our team, we can make sure they, they can work safely in our organization. They can ideally thrive in our organization. That means we too, as the founders, can go on this journey where we too can thrive. Because I mean, a lot of founders, this is why that you, you know, you've been saying diversity and inclusion. I would invite you to think about equity like because diversity and inclusion has been around for about 60 years we've been talking about it and a lot of it's been like hey don't say anything if you don't you know you don't know what to say don't say anything and then the me too movement it was like wait why well, haven't people been talking about this well we've been telling people for years if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything now mm. with black lives matters coming out it was like well if you don't say anything that silences violence so we have to keep in mind that we went from diversity and inclusion for about 60 years and then about the last 20 years been diversity equity and inclusion so it's relatively new to most people. And that equity piece is huge because that speaks about the fairness portion. And the reason I say this in relation to founders, a lot of founders, or at least the ones that we've met, have left other businesses or other entities because they felt like there was a misalignment. They, were, they didn't get a chance to grow. They, they, could, they had better ideas and did, it didn't feel like they were being treated fairly. So they are going to start their, their own business now to say, hey, I want to do it my way. I'm going to really create something that's different. I want to operate differently than I was as an employee. But what's interesting is some of those founders have not experienced the fairness that they are now going to then have to pass on to the rest of their team. Yeah. And some founders will even say that life is unfair. I had to grind to get here. So all my team is like, well, if we look at equity, that E, if we believe that life is unfair, the world is unfair. Are we then going to contribute to more unfairness? Or are we going to say, hey, we're going to do something different in our team? We know the world outside is unfair. We're going to do our absolute best to be as fair as possible within our team. Let our culture become a buffer to the difficulties out in the world and say, we're going to, when we hire you, we'll take care of you while you're here. 
and and that might even that that means that we have to think a little bit differently as founders so i think fundamental piece is for founders to really grapple with what does diversity equity inclusion mean to them so they can come up with their own approach to dei because every every person it, it absolutely can be different for your companies your company do it in a way that makes sense for you and make sure then you can get the alignment because when things are out of alignment we feel like founders are out of integrity and that creates much more problems if we like we're trying to connect this to marketing here if you marketed a product to a client and then they got the the product and it was out of alignment with what you said it was mm. then they're going to say it's out of you know you're out of integrity you're a liar like then the bad reviews then you know you basically lose the the client and potentially lose other business same thing for employees we as we were we as founders are marketing our culture and our company when we hire people and then if they get into our team and realize there's a misalignment it's not true then they'll see the the lack of integrity they'll see the the, the lies they'll they will then turn around and can even blast us on social media or other platforms right so i think that's to me where the where the the conversation around messaging and positioning that we talk about in marketing is very aligned with messaging and positioning ourselves as founders in this DEI mm -hmm. um, conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one, one quote that kept ringing in my mind that is so true and applies to marketing and business on a whole, like as well as business on a whole, is that, you know, founders, uh, you know, build the people and the people build the business. Mm -hmm. And this is so, so important. I think that in any leadership position, whether you're a founder or you're running a really small team, like you are a leader. And mm -hmm. as a leader, you have a level of responsibility to make sure that you're getting the most. I mean, you want to get the most out of the people in your team that you're working with. And in order mm -hmm. to do that, you know, first it's like, okay, make sure that you're maximizing their productivity so that they feel safe to be who they really are, to express themselves, their creativity, and that they feel connected to you and to their other team members. Um, mm -hmm. But also I think that, what would you say, because I think this might be a question for people. You know, a lot of times when we're building uh, teams, it comes a lot through our own network. Mm -hmm. And what happens if our network isn't very diverse, right? Because yeah. a lot of founders, I, you know, <laughs> people that I've worked with that shall go unnamed um, don't want to sometimes make the effort because it's like, okay, well now I have to be here, there or everywhere to make sure that I'm getting the most, you know, and at some point I say on one side, it's like, well, you know, let's make an effort to change the system means we need to do things differently. But you have any tips for, you know, how maybe we can go outside our small nucleus to find great people you know? yeah, i love that portion that you first talked about that you know founders build the people and people build the business i think if we the other part of equity by the way is this the, the kind of the return on our investment like most founders and especially when um seeking um venture capitalist funding people are talking about roi roi right if if you're if you're building a team that's based on fairness, then your employees will receive an ROI. And it's it's that inclusion portion. It's the fact that they can have the higher productivity. It's the fact that they can they can see themselves growing with your company. So like you build the people who build the business. I just love that connection to the idea of equity. And then when you're just mentioning this portion of of changing the the journey or changing how we reach out to people, 
Uh, first, I will say the it's important to know where you are as a founder, right? We we established this DEI maturity model. I know we're not. Um, well, this is just an audio piece, but I'll say there's five stages of initiating, aligning, progressing, building, and scaling. So you're in one of these five areas as you're going through this DEI journey, right? Initiating, aligning, progressing, building, or scaling. And for most of us who are in the startup phase, especially if you're like one or two people and you're just starting to build your team, you most likely are in an initiating phase around DEI as well, especially because you you are starting to think about how does this impact your team. I'll tell you, it starts with your, as soon as you start doing business, you have to be thinking about DEI because it even impacts how you determine your ideal client, mm. right? Because if some people are determining their ideal client and don't really realize the biases that we're putting in place, and, and creating barriers where some people can't even access our product, even they will be oh, fantastic good. customers. Like sometimes yeah. I will I will be, um, I'll call people, we're, we're always looking for partnerships and new products to, to enhance what we can offer. And some salespeople will talk down to me. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to give you money, right? I don't <laughs> understand what the problem is yeah. here. Yeah. And I mean, I can I can understand what the problem, my assumption becomes that the problem is that they, they, they think that I'm unqualified based on just my skin color. I'm like, wow, you totally, you're about to miss mm -hmm. a good sale and, and a mm -hmm. network that I'm trying to put you in. But you know, that that comes that sometimes that we don't even realize how they're showing up and how we treat our customers, right? So then yeah. we can even infuse diversity, equity, inclusion to how we are determining our ideal client and reaching out to make sure that if we look at inclusion as another form of like audience engagement, are we including people to where they can feel like they can engage with us or are we excluding them just in, in even how we use gender pronouns and things of that nature that lets them see that they're not, they don't belong in our company just by the words that we're talking through. Mm -hmm. So when we, when we get to the recruiting portion of this, it's interesting that if you're in that initiating phase, you're just starting, please make sure that you are, as you're reaching out and, and hiring, you might be tapping into the pool of your friends and family, right? Just like even when we start a business or some of our first customers are our friends and family, like it's understandable, right? Please don't see shame in that. The the portion of, of jump, of, of kind of shifting it, that's where you're talking about like building the systems. That's where you have to get in alignment, right? Because then if people can't see that there's a problem, then they're not going to do anything different. And even if you're just recruiting from your pool of friends, there is a diversity. It might not be like visual diversity, right? So you hey, I've, I've went to, like, for example, I went to a private school here, University of Miami, go Canes, right? I went to a private school. Yeah. <laughs> my, my network as I was um, going, like kind of starting my career path was mostly white. So I had to kind of have a similar conversation with myself, like, okay, wow, this is interesting. So how do I broaden who I, I know is already in my network and start to reach out to more and more people versus the people who might be a phone call away. It's like some people have to think a little bit more intentionally, like how do I broaden my base because there are there, am I building the relationships of, of trust and safety for them to want to even work with me, whether it's being a client or to being our team or being a contractor. So I think there, there's a layer of this where it you, your, your network might be more diverse and you're thinking, especially if you broaden your um, your perspective of diversity. And then if you're trying to increase the, for example, racial diversity, which is what a lot of folks have been focused on lately, there is a journey that you might have to ask yourself, what have you been doing to intentionally build relationships with those mm -hmm. communities? Yeah. And yeah. if you can't, if you're saying, well, I'm not doing anything, and if you're absolutely fine with that, how am I gonna convince you? Like, like literally, how would I convince you that you should be doing something that you feel absolutely fine not doing at all and it has no impact on your business? So the question that I would be asking 
you and all all the listeners to consider is what problems are we trying to solve with the DEI initiative in our business? Because mm-hmm. as we can get clear on that, then we can get more alignment and say, great, we're in the aligning phase. We know the problems. And then we can we know that recruiting a diverse um, um, workforce or a diverse team can help us to solve blank problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I, I want to kind of step back and talk a little bit about that idea of intention, because I think, you know, as, as founders, when we, well, there's a, par- a part of intentionality when you're building a brand that can, that should incorporate um, diverse ideas and diverse uh, customers and team members. But even before that happens, what you were saying before, it's like, you know, having your own personal um, audit of, you know, who's the person that you want to be? How do you want to show up in this world with other people? And are you living in a way that fully expresses that? Because mm-hmm. if you, if, as the owner of the business, the business is, especially in the beginning, I mean, it is an expression of you, right? Oh, yeah. It's an expression of you. And so if you find, you know, personally, that that's something that you look around and you say, you know, I, all my friends kind of look the same and kind of do the same things. And we know the power of the influence that our network has, right? And what kind of, in what ways can our minds expand and our creativity expand by having more ideas and opinions in our inner circle? And I, you know, it's interesting and I, I haven't really done this myself or thought about this in brand building, but there's a process that absolutely can be the same, right? Because when we're talking about recruitment, right? You were saying before, because that's kind of what people really associate uh, this, this subject with, but which is like such a, it's a small piece of the puzzle, right? They try, they're wanting to solve the problem of, of lack of diversity in their team with recruitment. And it's like, wait a minute, if we back to the intention conversation, if this, if this hasn't been a uh, focus up until now, what's to say your team is ready? Because, right? you know, your your team is your greatest recruiting or repelling force, right? If you ask your team, hey, we need to hire, say, more black people, and they're all looking around like, I don't know any black people either. Are they ready to then work with some yeah. black people? Like, this yeah. is a real conversation. Like, this yeah. is, this is if we look at the chain reaction. So I love what you're saying about the intentionality and, and reminding people that that, that um, recruitment piece is one process as part of DEI, but the, what we're talking about right now of of you talked about the, the brand building and like building um, your own DEI approach to say, and I notice we're saying approach versus stance because stance kind of seems very rigid. Like this is who we are. Like branding always evolves, right? It keeps on getting better. It's like your approach should be the same. Mm. And then you, then we can apply that approach intentionally to how you reach out to your customers, how you reach out to your, your potential hires and then how you nurture those people once they're in your company, right? Yeah. Well, let's go, let's go like one layer deeper because I mm-hmm. think from a marketing perspective or even from a management perspective, there is an idea of, you know, diversifying the team that's going to solve the problem of getting the perspective. I think this is kind of like, you know, I, I see a lot, a lot of my friends, I've heard this comment before of my, my friends of color, my, my friends that are gay, that it's like, okay, I'm now supposed to be the representative of the gay, mm-hmm. you know, everyone that's gay or everyone that's black or all of the Asians and that mm-hmm. having that person on the team. Um, and I think that I know from my 
personal conversations that that's a very uncomfortable space to be and like, i think it's, it's like sometimes tokenizing in a different way yeah. right and management oh, yeah. i don't think understands that and i think in a lot of ways maybe the intention is good because it's like okay like we have this diversification in the team and because that person's here we're able to speak to that right uh to that segment but is there a way to approach is there a way to approach kind of the marketing and selling right in a more authentic way mm -hmm. yeah i love how you you mentioned that you know if they're trying to solve the problem of lack of perspective there are other ways to do that right so <laughs> this is why as we right. keep getting closer and closer what problem are you trying to solve in this dei in this dei role i think that's important for the the founders because um and people are probably thinking about some examples um I would even say before we kind of take a step of recruiting, um, because this is also going to answer the sales and marketing conversation. Generally, when people come to us and they ask about mar um, recruiting, I'm like, great, let's talk about your current composition of your team. And then I ask questions about how well is your current team being taken care of? Like, do they feel like they're safe? And does it what everybody say that they're thriving in your current team, right? The people you've already hired. And usually when we do a brief assessment and we measure levels of safety, that's not the case, especially when we start to then shift it by demographics. And we generally see that women feel less safe in the workplace. And, and this is interesting. And we, we measure safety um, physically, emotionally, psychologically, and intellectually. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of looking at four dimensions of safety that you need to have an innovative team, that you need to really have uh, sales and marketing that can reach a, a, a wide range, a diverse range of people. And that's why when we start to do just those little assessments, then they start to see there's clear problems that they're trying to solve now, right? So they're trying to make sure they can close the safety gap, make sure they can increase the pathway of thriving, the access to opportunities inside their organization, the ability for people to grow and see where they get the clarity to do their jobs well. Those are some problems that people start solving with DEI when they can realize that they're, they're, they're having issues with DEI. If they're trying to solve a perception issue and says, oh, um, you know, some of our customers or some of our, um, our potential prospects, like we've had companies tell us that they've lost out on bids because people uh, don't see visual diversity on their website and things. If that's the only reason you're trying to solve a problem, you're going to most likely create other problems, right? Your right, point. right like, right. again, this is, these are things that we're trying to be like, let's be real. The soul searching, the let's get clear what problem we're actually trying to solve. Because if you're trying to solve a visual diversity issue, then there might be an inclusion issue underneath there. There might be an equity issue underneath there that won't pro allow somebody who looks different to actually thrive inside your team. So that's that's what we start. If you say, let's get deeper, that's that's yeah. how our methodology works. And when we if we apply that into the sales and marketing to to reach um, to reach a broader audience, it's one looking at who's in front of that audience, right? Who's the person and am I just putting a black salesperson in front of, you know, this region of people because I believe that that's going to be the best or are we actually trying to build trust in these communities and they see us, like you said before, the providing the value and showing up and connecting even before we make an ask, right? Those are the, that type of, um, that type of, of sales and value-based sales is, is very equivalent to like service leadership. Like, are we, are we there to provide and help people before we ask them for what we need from them? Yeah. And some people are trying to do it the opposite way. Those are not our ideal clients. Yeah. And those folks keep getting into the same issues over and over again, because they're doing more performative versus purposeful diversity, equity, inclusion. Yeah. 
One thing that I think about a lot when it comes to marketing, especially, right? Design, right? Let's look at website and social feeds and what the visuals are, right? Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. something that has, um, I, I believe, just gained a lot of traction, mainstream traction is the idea of representation, right? Like in, in movies, in TV shows, in photographs, right? Um, is there, but on the opposite of that, you can have um, an organization that just, you know, puts a bunch of models or a bunch of fa face forward, right? Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that can cause some problems, but what, what do you think for, you know, a marketing or someone that wants to think about their marketing, right? Their team is not very, um, you know, maybe they have a small team, right? How could they begin to think about um, creating visuals in a program that f that's authentic, that feels, um, you know, that, that's kind of like built with a strong foundation to be able to be authentically speaking across different um, cultural cultures and, and mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this is kind of a no, big, this is, ambiguous this is a big question. question. It's a huge one. Right? Also, you were saying a little bit earlier about the authenticity. How do we do it authentically? Because I think there's ways that um, people... I will say that uh, in general, we were finding that back to what we started talking about at the beginning, that um, part of the DEI conversation is that people are not really celebrating when companies are doing it well. Like if things mm. happen well, we don't really say, oh, that company did a great job of yeah. authentically promoting yeah. blankety blank blank. Yeah. It's like it's 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 so sad for me because I wish we would do that more as, as consumers, as founders or whatever it is that we celebrate more of those achievements. So that way people can feel like, okay, great. That's what, we, that's what we're supposed to do. We know what we're not supposed to do. We don't really know what we should be doing or like what's acceptable. We don't get enough of that, that appreciation. So what's interesting is that you're talking about the marketing piece. Let's be real. that so much of marketing is visual. Like most mm -hmm. of us, the visuals outweigh the written word or what we can even hear auditorily. So it's important that this is when we're talking about like visual diversity. What is what can we visually see on the screen uh, as we as we are um, impacted by someone's messaging? So I think there's it goes back to this conversation of one: are we being authentic and how we're actually connecting with those folks, or are we just choosing like stock images, right? So people can tell when you're just choosing stock right. images. That was what I was thinking, they're, right? They're appropriate. Like, like again, like there's people who are like, wait, can you stock images? If, you, if you're just starting out, understand people are going to use that. The goal is, yes, this some of what we some of what we told people when we were back to the recruiting conversation, I think the same thing applies to this, is that we said, hey, if, you're, if your team is not visually diverse, it's better that you just say what you know is true. Say So if you're recruiting people, say something like, you may not see yourself represented on our site currently. Just mm -hmm. know that we are working to expand the diversity of our team, and we welcome you in here. Um, as an applicant so that way people know like you're calling it what it is oh, and you're beautiful. working towards yeah I love that yeah and so in the sales and marketing if you are really trying to um, diversify your your visuals do you have a diverse client base mm. and if you do do you have the trust to say hey we would love to authentically represent our clients in our marketing moving forward and we would love to invite y'all to you know submit blah, 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 like maybe it's testimonials or submit photos of you with the products because we'd love to say that this is the people who are who are using our products, these are the people we care about, we want to attract more of these folks, mm. right? That will also tell you if you don't have that then in your, in your target audience base, then you might say, okay, great, we have been excluding people. What can we do now to start to slowly build that kind of brand recognition in the communities that we want to serve? 
So I think there's there's layers where it can be very organic if we are if we actually have a true intention of doing so. And the, the one key thing that you're hearing here is we're actually asking the people. Right? Mm-hmm. So same with same with these employees. If you're hiring someone and then they're supposed to now speak on behalf of all black people. Have you talked to them about this and say, hey, well, like we would love to your insights on some of this. What do you feel most comfortable speaking about? Mm. Because even I who's running a diversity, equity, inclusion company. Like I do not speak on behalf of all black people. On behalf of all HB, I speak on behalf of Kimmy Joseph and of Fears Advantage. And I can certainly give some insights that could help in building authentic relationships. But I do not like uh, I, I, I would not tell you to do you know, there's no one size fits all approach to connecting with one, uh, people from each of the cultures that we could be discussing here. Mm. So it's important that we we give our team an opportunity to let us know what they actually feel comfortable speaking on, because then that gives actually more ability for people to share their lived experience and, and for us to have that be the perspective that authentically drives our sales and marketing. Mm. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit because I think this is something that a lot of people want to ask and maybe they don't know how to ask it, okay? Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> for people who can't see, like almost uh, every, or when I meet people for the first time, there's like a, there's a moment right before we get off of Zoom, they're like, hey, Kimmy, like, can I ask you a question? They've been like waiting <laughs> to ask the question. Yeah. I wonder if this is the question. You know the question. This is probably the question, right? It's like, listen, you have a bigger team. You found yourself in a sticky situation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Is this the question? No, the question is oh. like, is it, is it black or African American? I, oh. like, I don't know, man. I don't <laughs> <No>. know. <laughs> That's one of the questions. I was like, I don't know. People keep changing the language. I'm BIPOC <laughs> now. All of a sudden, I don't know. For me, I'm fine with black. <laughs> I can't tell you what the next person's fine with. But, but that's usually the question. That's also very. That, that, that is a good one. Too. I'm glad that we cleared that. Okay, there's no. There's not a clear cut answer for that one. It's just Depends on who you're talking to. That's right. a, you know. <laughs> so. I love that. I love it. Um, okay, but this is another one that I oh, think yeah, a lot okay, of people yeah, right. Yeah, okay. It's like. Yeah, go for it. Say, I mean, what would you advise people? And I'm sure this is like outside the context of work, just ever. If you found yourself in a totally foot in the mouth situation, or you've offended, um, you really just you're in a sticky situation, you know, um, or you found that someone is voicing their concern about you to uh, like to someone like you you guys that come like a consulting group right mm-hmm. that you because i'm sure you come in and people have a perception of what kind of leader they are and maybe after these assessments their feedback is different so well, if you're that yeah. person kind of receiving that well what's like kind of the what's the high road what's the what's sort of it. the best approach i'll answer this in multiple ways the first i'll say is that uh, leaders who autocorrect get more respect so if I, I found myself making a mistake, like I was doing an implicit bias training um, for a government agency, and at one point I said something to the effect of, I don't want this to fall on deaf ears. And I said, that's not how I want to say that because it's insensitive to the deaf community, right? Like there's so many more ways for me to say, I don't want this to be misunderstood. Right, <laughs> so like, right, I literally, right. I caught myself, right. I, I said, here's actually what I actually wanted to say was I don't want myself to be misunderstood. And like almost immediately somebody was in the chat saying, yeah, I'm glad you corrected that because I'm deaf. Like they would have, you know, that they yeah. they were confirming with the group that right. that would have been, you know, upsetting to yeah. them. Yeah. And then we did the Q and A after this hour long talk, and you, you talked about the frameworks we teach. We taught great frameworks. They're like that was the most valuable thing that we saw today is that you 
made a mistake and you corrected yourself on it. Mm. And you owned it. You didn't try to blame other people. You just said, sorry about that. This is what I actually wanted to say. And I think that's the piece that we're missing from a lot of founders, from a lot of leaders. And when we do that in general, just in, especially in the world when we're out there and we make a mistake, we can say, sorry, I, I didn't mean to offend you. And we can, I mean, we have a whole um, kind of training around apologizing because some people are like, oh, I don't want to apologize. And they link get all it. We'll link it's it like, in the show notes along with the other I don't know that's a public training. Oh. I'll, we'll give you a different one because I think okay. the, the, to, to part of what we find when people private, don't yeah. want to apologize, there's so many layers underneath, including saying like, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. There's, so that, so that it takes more than just say, hey, apologize. But just know for me, I've apologized more this last year than I can ever remember apologizing because I just, even as I do my work, I still, we're, we're learning and growing and, and terminology keeps changing and, and there's different ways to to support people. So I certainly just start by apologizing um, and, and, and more importantly, the follow through, right? If I apologize and I, and I tell someone that I'm gonna do something differently, then I, they're going to be looking to see if I did it differently. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a, a layer where leaders fall short all the time. Mm -hmm. They say something and then they do the complete opposite. And if we talked about visual marketing before, people look at us, our behavior, more than they listen to our words. Yeah. And so it's important that uh, leaders understand that very clearly. So that way they can kind of course correct with their, with their behavior. Um, and then the last piece you just talked about assessments. This is very... Um, difficult for us sometimes because one we've learned that we only are going to for the most part we have some standard questions but we're mainly wanting to find out what questions leaders want to ask that they're ready to see the information about and to do something with that information right because when we assess our team and then we don't do anything to change the data to change their experience mm -hmm. more mistrust more you know lack of integrity people feel like they their, their trust is being micro shredded like it's it's very difficult so we start to find to, to get a sense of the leaders of where they see the company going and how they want to support their team and checking on those things things that the leader can wrap their minds around plus some additional questions to get greater context because then the leaders kind of a little bit more ready to receive that feedback and to do something with it. it's super important that we're going to do yeah. something with that information um, because what often happens with data is that um, for the person who hasn't had a voice in the conversation, they see the the data says it can validate what they've been experiencing. And they're like, great, I'm glad I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one experiencing that. Sometimes for the leaders, they see the data and say, damn it, we've been working on blah, 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 and no one seems to be appreciating. It's like, that's not what's happening. Yeah, There's just more going on. And if we want people to really appreciate some of these efforts, we have to then uh, look at what else is blocking that. So there's 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 a validation and an invalidation that happens at exactly the same time when people are seeing their data. So make sure that your team is ready for that before. So now when we are part of our sales cycle, we show people samples of data and say, what would you do if this if your data came back this way? Mm -hmm. And that way they can get themselves their minds Prepare. around this conversation that if it does show up um, worse than the sample data, are you ready to see that and, and ready to more importantly do something about it? So your team feels like they can rebuild the trust that is needed for you to succeed as a company. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, I have a couple more questions. I want to be respectful of your time, but this is I, exciting. I'm like, I'm, let's go. <laughs> I really no. I, okay. Okay. Two. Okay. The last two I'll group together. Let's okay. start here. So, 
you know, I have, you know, founders in my audience that are, you know, just starting out or they're ready to scale and they're ready to, you know, ready to fundraise, whatever. There are different stages. Mm -hmm. But let's say that regardless of the stage, someone's kind of curious to um, take some action steps in their business, right? Where, where do they start? What should they start with? Well, I would say um, we are in the process of developing a, a DEI maturity model assessment to get where you are. Because if you're in the, well, that would be the initiating phase. If you're just starting and you don't know what to do, mm. we would essentially, one of the key components is get yourself a coach. Like get, like, so we provide executive coaching, DEI leadership coaching. And the reason I say that is because some of these conversations are so nuanced and difficult. And then those who apply these contexts into the business world, into the startup world on top of that, you can get a lot of information, even misinformation. Do you have a thought partner that you can talk to and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, including questions like, is it black or African? Like those, we have clients who ask those and we were laughing about it earlier because I just get that so much. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> idea yeah. That. Where else do you have a place to ask those questions and yeah. then be able to apply it in your, in your, in your business world? It, one of the startups that I've kind of been the most proud of is that their founder, she said, you know, you really helped me see that this inclusion conversation is yes about our team because they already had a diverse team. But she said it's about the voices in our team mm. and how that impacts our product. And she saw some of their, their highest grossing months about two months after we started working together because she needed to shift how she was giving her team agency within the company. So mm -hmm. if you're oh, that leader who wants to make sure you can empower your team, I would absolutely say start with an executive coach, like from our team from Fears Advantage or or any consultant that you trust to make sure that they're, they're giving you a positive perspective, they're helping you make pro progress and they're celebrating that progress in a way that inspires you to keep the journey going. Mm -hmm. So we offer that and I know other consultants out there offer that too, but I would say that's an absolute, um, must have for the executive who's just starting on this journey. Mm, I think, and I, I feel so happy that this has become normalized to have this position, right? Mm -hmm. On on teams for people to have coaches and to people and of all size companies. And I think that that really starts um, because you have to have that safe space, right? And yeah, it, I mean, and, and, uh, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. But that's something that I think I've learned a lot from you is just, you know, that it is, it is, there is not these black and white, right and wrong answers to everything. That mm -hmm. things are really nuanced and actually that's okay. Yes. And we don't have to be so scared, right? That we're all humans and we all just want, are trying our best on all sides from all different cultures and all different beliefs and all of that, right? Um, and the fairness piece is that like the, to, the fairness piece is that we, you know, if dealing with racism was your job, what type of like onboarding training support, what would you actually need to get that done? And right. you know, we, we know none of us were like kind of prepared for that in, in a lot of ways. And then we were kind of thrust into dealing with it from being kids and so on. But the, you know, the, I love that the culture of coaching is also being more accepted in, in companies because that, that allows us to really give people the support they need from right where they are. And if you have an executive team, like drop-in coaching is really helpful. So people, I think to force a coach on someone, they're like, oh, I don't want to need this coach. But like when they come to one of our sessions and they solve a key problem, like there's been conversations that I've helped uh, executives reframe that, man, if they went in with draft one, it would have been yeah. a problem. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so yeah. it's like, okay, cool. You're going in with draft number two. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity already to support better. you. Yeah. yeah, it's already better. It's going to be more. And they, they come back and say, thank you. Like, this is what I actually was trying to say. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's that's the point. Which is, like I said earlier, like if we can course correct, if we auto correct, then it's much easier for us to come in more clear headed when we get a place that we can let off the steam. And we found that a lot of visionary founders also um, process out loud. <laughs> it's like, don't process out loud in team yeah. meetings when yeah. you're talking about this stuff, yeah. please. Just like, yeah. hey, I'll come back to you. I'm going to talk to my coach and yeah. full circle, please. That is, <laughs> oh, that is a key. That is a key. And I think that, you know, sometimes in startup culture, like, because everyone's grinding and it's just yep. the nature of it all. I think sometimes f- founders overstep boundaries a lot by thinking like, well, they're all, you know, you're in it, like you're in it with me and this is kind of a family and yeah, it is in some respects, but yep. there is, you know, and, and we have to remember that sort of those boundaries as well with people and their feelings. Okay. I have uh, two more questions. Well, I really want to ask that, you. On the last piece, so if, yeah, we're gonna, yeah. if we're going to create it like that, then are we giving um, people neutral opportunities to give us feedback? Mm. But that's the piece we don't have in family dynamics, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can't no, give my mom feedback. It's no. Not, so it's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, like in our workplace, we have neutral feedback loops. So like, great. You know, Tori and I, we're like, we're working, like we're really close. Like, you, like we're right here together. We should have opportunities where it's okay for you to give me feedback and like I can, that we can grow from that. And it's just like there's planned opportunities. So it's even if things are going perfectly, we can still give feedback on how we can improve. That's a piece that's missing. If founders, if you want that tight knit and like some people say we practice full transparency, great. Just please have like anchor times where feedback is a part of your process so your team can can really give you that. And then you can be growing alongside them without it feeling like they, they just caught you off guard or you got caught in a bad moment when you were trying your best, right? Give the, make sure the feedback is part of that process as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a couple of minutes. I, this is really like a personal curiosity question mm-hmm. um, about you and your company that I've been following for all these years, which is so mm-hmm. great. Um, but I wanna dig into your mission. So mm-hmm. your mission for Fears Advantage is to help 5 million organizations by 2030 to create environments where everyone can feel safe and thrive. Mm-hmm. So what is this, what is your business? What does this look like for you on a large scale? Like what's these, what's this big vision for this? Mm-hmm. Well, then some people might be asking why the number 5 million will start there. It's just that the, um, and there's over um, 200 million businesses in the, in the world. And so okay. the idea that if we look at the innovation adoption curve, like we're that, like we're focusing on the 2.5%, which are the yeah. early adopters. So that's how we got to 5 million. So we're saying if DEI is 20 years old, right? There's a lot of confusion. A lot, it's really the early adopters who are going to grab onto this and, yeah. and then really be the catapult for other people to be like, oh, we can succeed doing this. Our companies yeah. can thrive doing this. Yeah. Our teams can thrive doing this. So we're hyper-focused on the early adopters, which is why if you're still very confused by this, like we may not be the right fit because yeah. we're focusing on people who are ready to go and ready to, to do something that is uh, different and exciting. And so what that looks like is that can be essentially like the first vanguard to tip the scale and say, oh, here's how we did it and let other businesses model because if we really want to shift the paradigm, we have to think about how success looks like in our in our world. And we have been very much building companies that are grind mode. Like success is like executives do a four hour work week and everybody else do 40, 60, 70 hour work weeks to get. So that's the context we're operating in and, and founders, we get excited to do things differently. Are we willing to, to play the game differently until we can then change the game itself and make sure that the way that we operate is truly in alignment with who 
uh, of making sure that every person who comes in our team has the ability to work safely and thrive. So that's that's what it looks like to have that, those five main organizations operating it. like that and being the kind of kicking off the next wave. And and I'm just excited to to build it because I can see it, right? So that's the the visionary part now is yeah. implementing and, and kind yeah. of getting in the weeds with people to to untangle ourselves so that way we can uh, we can get to the future that we know is possible. Yeah. Well, and I think like just as a, to comment what we're talking about with the coaching, it's like it is something that everyone needs this education, a, a safe place. Like mm -hmm. there's so much possibility for how this can grow and how different the world will look when we feel comfortable having these conversations and feel that we have a framework or action steps mm -hmm. to actually solve some of these problems. Right. Instead yeah. of just feeling like we're throwing our hands up in the air. Okay. So um, this is, this, our time is up. We have to get, have you back to dig into more things. Yeah, I've got other excited. juicy questions to ask you, <laughs> but for this, for this session, um, mm -hmm. where can everyone find you and connect with you and learn more about you and fears of vantage? Yeah, we always about giving uh, relevant resources. So we actually, the, the course that you mentioned that I was launching that was helping people go on Zoom and virtually engage audiences called the Five Star Virtual Engagement Plan. So we oh, actually yeah. have a, um, uh, two free trainings that folks can get. That one is about their internal team. One is about their sales and marketing, like how to do this, the sales and marketing for diverse audiences. So they can find that at fearsadvantage.com slash engage. Perfect. So fearsadvantage.com slash engage. And I think they're going to really, if they, you know, they can't see me right now. So you get a chance to come and have fun with me. <laughs> you get a chance yeah. to look at applying yeah. this to more sales and marketing and, and really making sure that people feel included in your sales journey. So that way when they make the purchase, they feel like they, they're making exactly the right decision. I love that. That's, that's awesome. Okay, cool. So fearsadvantage.com backslash engage. Mm -hmm. And um, all those juicy resources you were chatting about in our conversation, pass them to me. I'll put them in the show notes as well. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So if there's any other things that we mentioned, some slides, DI slides model, or yeah, whatever, I, I'll pass it through. So thank you so much, Kemi, for your time. This is an awesome conversation and can't wait to continue it soon. Same. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. Thanks for sticking around with me and listening all the way to the end. I really appreciate you as an audience member, and I hope that you found this helpful. If you did like this episode, it would mean so, so much to me if you subscribed, if you rate and review this podcast. It helps other people know that this podcast has something worth saying. It also would be super awesome if you could take a screenshot and share on Instagram and tag me at Ugly Ventures, U-G-L-I Ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. I am always so appreciative to hear from you and I hope to see you back here next week on the Marketing for Startups podcast.